Hallelujah. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Sister Robin, good to see you all today. God bless you. We've been missing you guys. Good to see you, Reggie. God bless y'all. Amen. Oh, God's good. All the time. Amen. All the time, God is good. Open your Bible this morning. You got your, got your word with you today. Open to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. We're back. We're back in, gospel, in the Gospel of Mark today. And uh, we're going to begin uh, reading from verse number 14 today. Going to read a little passage of Scripture. And I'm going to talk to you today, probably, probably this passage of Scripture, this section of, of Mark's Gospel is probably one of the saddest uh, passages of Scripture in the entirety of the Word of God. I've been wrestling with this passage for two weeks. I know, you know, some, I don't know if other preachers do that or not, but I get a hold of a passage and I wrestle with it and pray over it. And, and uh, sometimes, sometimes the message comes easy and sometimes it don't come so easy. Amen. Amen. And so I, I feel like I've got some things to say this morning that the Lord would have me to say. I feel that some things that I say today may be a little hard. I don't know. I don't like to be a hard preacher. Am I a hard preacher? No. I got a couple of no's and everybody else just kind of sitting there looking at me. Um, uh, I, I, I just want to preach what God, I don't want to preach, I want to preach the Bible. Is that okay? Amen. I preach the Word of God to you all this morning. So um, I'm going to do my best with the help of the Holy Spirit to preach um, from, this, from this passage of Mark's Gospel and talk about silencing the voice of God. Silencing the voice of God. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. And King Herod heard of him, speaking of Jesus, for his name, Jesus' name, was spread abroad. And Herod said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elijah, and others said that it's the prophet, or one like the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. Amen. Um, for Herod, I'm going to read one more verse. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in the prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Father, thank you today for the presence of the Lord in this service. Thank you for the, the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit. 
And Lord, we ask today, I ask for the anointing to teach your word, to minister your word to your people, to this, your church. Lord, that we would be, that we would be encouraged, that we would be admonished, that we would be strengthened by the word of God that is preached and taught. I pray that we would also be instructed by your word today and that you would take the word of God and that you would apply it to our hearts today. Let every ear be attentive to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to us today, to your church today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. As I said, this is probably one of the saddest passages in the Bible. If you'll read the entire story, and we'll be going through this by the help of the Lord this morning. But it reveals in this, in this sixth chapter of Mark, it reveals the details that, are, that, are, uh, that involve the death of the, whom Jesus said was the greatest of all the prophets that had ever lived, the death of John the Baptist. And um, in this passage, we'll look at that, but not only do we see the death of John the Baptist in this passage, but this passage also, as we, as we glean from it today, also records, as we'll see, the death of a conscience. And that's the, that's the worst kind of death that we could have is for our conscience to be dead. And that's exactly what happened to Herod in silencing the voice of the preacher, in silencing the voice of God. He silenced the voice of his own conscience, which is a very, very uh, dangerous thing to do. But we know that John was a, was a great man of God. He was a special man that had been chosen for a special mission. His birth had been announced ahead of time to his, to his father, Zacharias. And, um, he was called by the Lord for that special mission of being the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was what he had been placed on this earth to do, was to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. There were some things about John. I mean, John, when you study his life, was uh, number one, he was a powerful, powerful preacher. And he was a fearless prophet. And he was a true, if there ever was a true man of God, John the Baptist was a true man of God. And as I mentioned, Jesus talking about John said that, that among those who had been born of women, there had not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And uh, when you study his life, in, in the beginning of his life, you know, John was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. He was called by God from his childhood. Jesus said concerning John in John uh, 5 and 35 that John was a burning and a shining light. So we also know from the scripture that John was a road builder. Amen. I don't mean he was a construction worker, but I mean he was one that came to build the way, to, to prepare the way, to build the road, and to prepare the way to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was that, Isaiah had prophesied about John and said that he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, 
prepare the way of the Lord and make his, his path straight. John wasn't a preacher that came to make a name for himself. Come on, somebody. He wasn't a preacher that came pursuing a, a, a career. He wasn't a preacher that came promoting, promoting his own ministry. But John came for one purpose and one purpose only. He came to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord and bring people, point people to Jesus. That should be our main focus and our main ministry today is to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. John said concerning himself that I'm not the one, I'm not the Christ. He said, I'm just, I'm just called to prepare the way. I must decrease and he must increase. Boy, that's the way I feel about my life today. Let Ricky decrease and let Jesus increase in my life. Amen. Praise God. Um, so, you know, he was, he was a road builder. He was a promoter of Jesus. He pointed his disciples to the Lord, the ones that were following him. He said, behold, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he pointed his disciples to the Lord Jesus. But John was also not only a road builder, but John was an axe man or a hatchet man. Amen? Somebody said, what do you mean he was a hatchet man, an axe man? Man. Well, he was an axe man because John made the statement and he said that even now, in his preaching, he said even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree and every, every tree which does not bring forth good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What does he mean by that? The axe is laid to the root of the tree. He was saying that he, John, in his preaching, got to the very root of sin and the very root of, of the problem problem which was sin. He came to preach repentance and to call people back to repentance. Are you with me this morning? I know that's not a popular topic either today, but I'm notorious for preaching on topics that are not popular. Can I get an amen? But that isn't a popular thing. But nevertheless, that's what John came to do. He got to the root of sin. He exposed sin for what it was. And John in his preaching did not compromise the truth and he did not pull any punches. Amen? As I said, he preached against sin. He preached, John did, that people should have a changed life. He came and preached a baptism unto repentance. Not that John's baptism saved anybody because it didn't. But he preached that he wouldn't baptize anybody unless they brought forth fruit that was already showed fruit of the fact that they had repented and their life had been changed. That's the kind of preacher that John was. He believed that when a person repented that their life was changed, that they stopped the sin business and they lived a different kind of a life. I, I have a tendency to believe the same thing today. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. But John was, was not only, he was not only a road builder and he was an axe man and he preached the, the, the truth of God's word. He called people to repentance and he preached against sin. But John was also an impartial preacher. 
He preached. He wasn't partial. I mean, John preached the same. It didn't matter to him who was in the congregation. You know, sometimes preachers today, if there's somebody highfalutin in the congregation, they might have a tendency to, to sugarcoat the message a little bit or say, well, somebody of importance is here today. We don't want to, we don't want to offend anybody. But John, and we don't within ourselves want to offend anybody. My intention is never to offend anybody. But if the Word of God would offend you, then you have to take that up with somebody bigger than me. Amen. I'm just the messenger. I'm the mail carrier. I'm the newsboy. I'm delivering the message. I didn't write it. I'm just delivering it. Come on. Amen. But John didn't, it didn't matter to him who he was preaching to. He still preached the same. He still preached the truth. It doesn't matter if he was preaching to the religious leaders of his day, if he was preaching to the common people, if he was preaching to soldiers or centurions. It didn't matter. He preached the same thing. And they asked him. They even came to him and said, what do we need to do? What kind of changes do, need to be made in our life? And he told each class exactly what kind of changes had to be made in their life. And so we see in this text here that it didn't even matter to John if he was preaching to royalty. It didn't matter to him if it was somebody that was in a high place of authority. It didn't matter if it was the mayor or the governor or the president or the king or the potentate or whoever it was. John was impartial and preached the same message to, to Herod as he did to everybody else. Amen? Because God is not partial and God has no favorites and God doesn't give one word for somebody and another word for somebody else. We all got to come in the same door and the same gate and live the same way if we're going to go to the same place. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. I feel like preaching. I just wish I had about an hour and a half. Oh, that scared half of you. But he didn't sugarcoat the message even though he was preaching to the king. And that's what got John into trouble. And that's what cost John his life is because he remained faithful to the Lord and to the Word of God. But we see in this text the, the, the total confusion in Herod. Now, Herod, Herod was, Herod, this Herod was Herod Antipas. He was the Herod that was the son of the Herod that had the babies slaughtered during trying to kill the Lord Jesus. This Herod was his son. He was the tetriarch of Galilee, and a tetriarch was someone that the Romans placed over a fourth part of a kingdom. So he ruled in this area. He wasn't a king, so to speak. He, that, that terminology was used, but he, you know, he liked to think of himself as being somebody important. Amen? But, uh, but Herod had begun to hear about the miracles of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and what everybody was saying about who they thought Jesus was. And, um, you know, there was quite a stir going on around Galilee and people were saying different things about the Lord, who they thought He was when they saw and heard of the miracles. Some thought that He was Elijah. Some thought that He was one of the great prophets that, that, that maybe had come back or, or, or was, 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 uh, that had been prophesied that would come. But Herod, when he heard about Jesus, Herod began to have a flashback 
And Herod said, no, I know who this is. This has to be John whom I beheaded. He's been raised from the dead. There was something that was going on here in Herod's life when he heard about John. For him to begin to think this, or when he heard about Jesus, for him to begin to think, this is John whom I beheaded. Notice emphatically he said that I beheaded. Herod was having a little problem here with his conscience troubling him. He just couldn't seem to escape his guilty conscience that constantly reminded him of what he had done. He could still hear the voice of John and the guilt of sin was gnawing away at him and he just couldn't seem to get away from that. Now what John had done was he had preached to Herod and told Herod that the life that he was living was an ungodly life. He got in his business and he began to talk to him about his sin. Is anybody with me today? Because Herod Antipas had a brother called by the name of Herod Philip who was also a ruler in a region and Herod Antipas went to visit his brother Philip in Rome. And while he and his wife were there, he began to get eyes for his brother's wife whose name was Herodias. How many is with me? And he began to look at her and get eyes for her. And, and to make a long story short, you can fill in all the blanks, but Herod, Herod Antipas and his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, had an affair. And what happened then was that they both left their spouses and married each other, married one another. Sounds like a lot of what goes on in the world today, doesn't it? Amen. As the stomach turns. Come on, somebody. And they thought everything was okay. I mean, you know, they could do this. Just, I'll just get rid of my wife and get me a new one. How many? Come, come on, somebody. Told you I may say some things that upset people, but anyway. And so that was the scenario and John got in Herod and Herodias' business and I said it didn't matter to John who he preached to, he preached the same to everybody. And so John told Herod, Herod, what you're doing is a sin. The life that you're living is wrong. The life that you're living is sinful. It's wrong for you to have your brother Philip's wife. It's wrong for you to have her as your wife. And this wasn't just a one-time message, but if you study the the Greek, it talks about how it it, it actually says that this was a, a repeated message that over and over John took. Herod. Every time he saw him, the message was the same. He was saying, Herod, you need to get things right with the Lord. It's not right for you to have your brother Philip's wife. And Herod became upset with John and his preaching, but Herodias became more upset. And the Bible said that Herodias held it against John and wanted to kill him, but she could not. that she held it against him. The King James says that she had a quarrel against him, which means that she held a grudge against him. She was angry with him. Somebody said one time, I don't know who made this quote, but it said, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And John was getting ready to find out that that was a fact. 
Because Herodias wanted John dead. She wanted him silenced because he was preaching against her adultery. And can I tell you something? Can I interject something here in this message this morning? And that is this, that Satan wants to silence every God-called gospel preacher on this world, on this earth today. That that spirit of Herodias that was, that was moving in her life, that was possessing her to destroy the voice of God that was speaking in her life, that same spirit, Herodias is dead and in hell, but that spirit that controlled her is alive and well in the world today and there is a spirit and there is a move of Satan on today to try to put every gospel, shut every gospel preacher's mouth. That's what Satan wants to do. We are quickly approaching the hour, ladies and gentlemen. Whether you realize this or not, we are quickly approaching the hour when preachers in this country, in this good, wonderful country that which we live, this land of the free and the home of the brave, we're quickly approaching the time when, when, when this preachers in this nation will be persecuted for the message in which we preach. Can I tell you something today? That if a liberal Congress has its way that it will there will come a day that preachers will be imprisoned if they preach against sin and preach against homosexuality and preach against the LGBT agenda the Bible today is being labeled and classified as hate speech by a politically correct world but I can tell you the Bible is not politically correct and the preacher of the gospel is not politically correct and the word of God is true it doesn't make any difference what anybody else said let God be true and every man every woman be a liar come on say, say amen in this church Woo! hallelujah amen somebody said well you shouldn't be so political this is not being political this is being moral this is preaching for our rights standing up for what we believe. Thank God that this nation is the land of the free. But those freedoms and those rights, are, are there, there's an agenda and there's a group of people that want to take those rights away from us. You better pray like we've never prayed before, but that spirit of Herodias is working in people's life today. Their agenda is to silence the true servant's servants of God and preachers of the gospel. There's been cases already in Houston a few years ago where the, was it the mayor of Houston um, declared that all the preachers had to send in, send in their sermon notes and if there was anything in there that in their notes against the, the, the LGBT movement or anything like that, that they would be called in and called into question and be in trouble. Amen. So that's a little bit what we're, that's that spirit that's at work in the world today. But Herod imprisoned John. Put him in jail because of his preaching, but not only that, but Herod wanted really to protect John from Herodias because Herodias wanted him dead. John really put him in jail, the Bible says, that Herodias held this against John and she wanted to kill him, but she could not. 
For it said, because Herod feared John, knowing, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and Herod protected him. So he puts him in jail basically to protect him. And here's the interesting thing. I'm building to something, so I want you to listen to me. The interesting thing was that Herod would go to the prison cell of John and listen to him. He's got him locked up where he doesn't, he doesn't have to hear him anymore, but there was something that just kept drawing him back to this holy man of God. And he would go to his prison cell, Herod would, in that, in that dungeon, and he would say, preach to me a little bit, tell me something. He would ask him questions, and John, I know, didn't change the message, but he would preach to him, and, and Herod would listen to him. And it says that it says in the ESV in verse 20, it says, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe, and when he heard him, he was, listen, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Another translation says that when Herod heard him, he would be very disturbed. Do you see what's going on here? There was a troubling going on in Herod's life because he knew that what John was saying was the truth. He didn't really want to stop doing what he was doing, but he just couldn't stay away from hearing what John had to say. And when he would go and hear John, got John preach and John would give him the Word of God, it said that he was perplexed and disturbed. In other words, there was a great conflict that was going on in his soul. There's people that come to this church and they hear me preach and some of them are joyful and and some of them are perplexed. And some are even disturbed. Amen. But the word, listen, the word of God will do that to you. Because this Bible and the preaching of the gospel is given to us to, to get us straightened out. To get us where we need to be with the Lord. Come on. Amen. The Holy Spirit will use the scriptures and the preaching of the Word of God to, to cause that conflict in our soul. And, and what John preached to, to Herod was bringing Herod under conviction. The Holy Spirit, I believe you can see this in that passage, that the Holy Spirit was dealing with Herod. The truth was touching Herod's heart. And it even said that he did some good things. He knew what he was doing was wrong. Herod knew that what he was doing and the life he was living was sinful. He knew that he needed to repent. He knew that he needed to change his lifestyle. He knew that he needed to stop sinning and he was, it said that he did some good things. He was willing to change his life to a certain point but not to the point of giving up Herodias. And this is the very thing that keeps so many people from the Lord Jesus Christ today. This is the very thing that keeps so many from being saved today because they'll say yeah I believe in God, I believe in the Bible, I believe that it's all true, but yet when the truth of the Bible clashes with their desire for pleasure and satisfaction, they will drop the truth of God's Word like a hot potato. Amen? I'm telling you what, that does not, what does that mean? That means we cannot and must not sacrifice the truth of the Word of God. We gotta lay it out there and preach it. Hallelujah! We gotta preach it. Amen. I'm not trying to be mean or hard, but, 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 but Herod treated the Word of God like he could do as he pleased. He could take it or he could leave it. He could, he could take what he wanted. He was, he was just, you know, he was picking and choosing. 
And there was a conflict. And listen, any time that you or I take any part of this Bible and push it aside and say, I, I like this part. I'm just going to take all the promises, but all the other stuff I'm going to push aside. Anytime we do that, we, are, we will find ourselves in a perplexing situation. And we'll find ourselves numbing and dulling our conscience and the dealing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now's when we get down to where the rubber starts meeting the road. Nothing will sear your conscience quicker than to repeatedly say no to the Word of God. It's a dangerous thing to turn away from God's Word. Are you listening? It's a dangerous thing to, to do despite to the Spirit of grace and to push the Holy Spirit aside when He's dealing with you. And I'm going to talk about our conscience here in a minute. But look at what Herod did. You know the story. We won't take time. I could preach four messages on this. But, but there came a time when, when Herodias, of course, had been biding her time. Herodias was waiting just for her opportunity to put John to death. And she saw her chance. She had been plotting this. How can I stop this preacher? How can I get rid of John? It said that she had a grudge against him. She hated that man of God. She would do anything to destroy his life. And so she schemed and she plotted and the day finally came when she could, when she could spring her trap. And it came at Herod's big birthday bash. There was a big wild party that you read about. And these parties, listen to me. I, like I said, I could preach four messages on this. But these, these parties were filled with this birthday party here. They, they were filled with alcohol, with immorality. They were drinking. They were drunk on wine. These, everybody here. And so Herodias takes this opportunity to then encourage her daughter, whose name was Salome, to go and do a dance to entertain Herod and all his guests at this drunken party and to do an erotic dance that was, that was designed to inflame the passions of the men there. Is anybody here? You need to be careful what you let dance in front of your eyes. Amen? Hallelujah. She knew, Herodias knew that Herod would be so pleased with this dance of Salome that, that he would make some kind of a promise to Salome. It was a well thought out plan. It was, it was a plan to put an end to this preacher. And the plan worked just exactly the way she had conceived it. Because Herod's passions were inflamed by the girl's dance and he makes a promise to her to give her anything that she desires. Even with an Oath, he said, even up to the half of my kingdom, I'll give you whatever you want. What a foolish thing to say. What a stupid thing to say. What an ignorant thing to say. Come on. But that's what happens to people when they get involved with alcohol and drugs and, 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 and uh, sexual uh, lustful entertainment. It makes them say and do stuff that they wouldn't say or do ordinarily. Come on, somebody. 
This girl goes. He said anything, and she goes immediately to her, her mother Herodias. And she asks Herodias, what do you want me to ask for? And without hesitation, she makes the request and said, you ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And, and so that's exactly what she did. She goes and tells Herod, what I want is the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herod, realizing immediately that he had made a terrible mistake, but he's afraid of losing face in front of his guests, so he sends immediately the executioner, and John is immediately beheaded. And then this grisly trophy of the head of this great man of God is presented to Salome, who takes it to her mother and gives it to her mother. Herodias, now excited and exhilarated that she's put an end to this man's ministry, Herodias gloated over the gruesome sight of this preacher's head on the platter. Jerome, the historian of the third century, says that, that, that actually Herodias opened the mouth of John, the head of John, and pulled his tongue out and thrust it through with a large pen to puncture the tongue that had spoken the truth and had condemned her lifestyle and condemned her sin. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what the enemy would like to do today. Amen? There's something that we learn from this story. At first of all, we learn the devastating power of hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness and what it will drive people to do. We also, it is revealed to us the danger that is involved in the use and the abuse of alcohol and mind-altering drugs. I can't say anything good about alcohol being used moderately or immoderately. Come on, somebody. It affects our thinking. It affects our mind. Hallelujah. But this verse also reveals the dangers of peer pressure. Just because others do stupid things doesn't mean that you have to follow their lead. Just because others make fun of us because of the life that we live and the holy life that we live doesn't mean that we have to succumb to peer pressure. That's what Herod did. He was afraid that those would think, uh, think lowly of him if he didn't follow through with his promise to, to take to give Salome what she wanted. But this there's something else that this story reveals, and it also reveals to us and teaches to us the death of a conscience. The death of a conscience. Because as we watch Herod in these verses, we're witnessing his conscience becoming hardened and eventually dying. Because Herod refused. Are y'all listening to me? You hear it? Herod refused to accept the word of God. He refused to change his way of living. He listened to John repeatedly and said no to the, to the word of God. But now he has crossed over that line to where he does something that is unthinkable. He does something that he never thought that he would do. Come on, listen to me, church. What I'm saying to you today is so vitally important in our lives because anytime you play around with the Word of God or play around or dabble in sin, you open a door for Satan to get a hold in your life and cause you to do things that you never dreamed that you would 
would do or get involved in lifestyles that you never thought that you would ever get involved in. Are you with me today? Sin isn't something to play with. It's not something to dabble in. It has the hiss of the serpent. It will bite you. It will destroy you. It will captivate you. It will lead you to into places. It will, as somebody said, it will, it will take you in to doing things that, you, you know, keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Make you do things that you never thought you would do. That's what happened to Herod. It wasn't his plan to kill John, but he messed around with his conscience until it became to a place where he did the unthinkable in his life. We see these verses as being a picture of how a person can sin against their conscience to the point that they are capable of doing anything. And I've heard people say this, I'll get saved when I'm ready. I've heard people say, well, if I get sick and I think I'm going to die, then I'll call on the Lord. What they're really saying is, but until that comes, I'm going to party hardy and do what I want to do. But the conscience becomes hardened. And see, you can't, get, you can't just get saved whenever you want to. The Holy Ghost has got to be dealing with you and drawing you to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we see. There's a guilt here in Herod's life that's eating him alive. Because he knows. That's why he thinks, he said, this is John the Baptist, risen from the dead, whom I beheaded. See, the guilt was there. Why did I do that? His conscience was bothering him, and his conscience was accusing him. And that is the power of a guilty conscience. Listen, a guilty conscience will eat you alive. A guilty conscience will hound you and you can't run from it, and you can't hide from it, and you can't escape it, because it will gnaw at the soul and eat away at your mind. Herod was convinced because of his conscience that this was John raised from the dead. His confession that I have beheaded him, it, it, it shows us that there was, there, was, there was guilt, but there was no repentance. There was guilt, but there was no salvation. There was guilt, but there was no changing. And it's one thing to, to feel the guilt of a conscience and not to follow through with repenting from that guilty conscience. Boy, it's got awful quiet in here. Hallelujah. What is the conscience? What is it? Does everybody have a conscience? I believe everyone is born with a conscience. When we talk about that word, we hear it a lot, you know. You ever heard people say, just let your conscience be your God? That's stupid. That ain't right. But what is the conscience? Listen, this is what the dictionary, American Heritage Dictionary, says that the conscience is an awareness of morality in regard to one's behavior. It's an awareness of morality in regard to one's behavior. 
It's a sense of right and wrong that urges one to act morally. That is the purpose of your conscience. Amen? Paul said this. In Romans 2.15, he said that the conscience is the part of us that either accuses or excuses us. He said that, 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 that there are those who show the, the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between, them, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or excusing them. So that's what the conscience does. It's a sense of right or wrong as it has to do with morality. We're living in a very immoral world today, in a very immoral age today. You know, marriage is, is thrown out the window. People just move in and live together and have sex outside of marriage. And they say, well, it doesn't bother me. Well, you know, it did at one time, but if it doesn't anymore and they're doing that, it's because they've so deadened their conscience that they have no distinction even now between what's right or what's wrong. And that's why it's so important that we, that we keep our conscience tender and undefiled before the Lord. Amen? So that we'll immediately be able to distinguish what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. And the problem in the world today is what Isaiah talked about in Isaiah 520, I believe it was, where he said that that time would be where they would call evil good and they'd call good evil. You know why? Because they've so defiled their conscience conscience that nothing bothers them anymore. They can do anything. They can live any way. They can, they can indulge in any kind of, of sinful activity on Saturday night and go to church on Sunday morning and say everything's fine. Oh, this ain't going over good. I better put that in my, I better put that in my notes. Did not go over well. Every person on earth has a conscience. When Adam and Eve sinned, now there's, 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 there's debate kind of goes on, did God create man with a conscience? I, I believe that He did. Some say that man didn't have a conscience, didn't need a conscience in the state of innocency in the garden because there wasn't any sin. There wasn't anything immoral to, for the conscience to, to, to tell him about. But whether, whether God created us with a conscience or, or not, if he did, which I believe he did, the conscience did not come into play or become active in, in the individual life until they pulled that fruit off of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And one translation even calls that tree the, the tree of conscience. So it was the tree of knowledge. It was when they didn't know anything about evil. Amen. They was, they were, Adam and Eve was in innocence. There was no sin. They were pure before God. Are you listening to me? The Bible says they were naked and they were not ashamed. There was no sin. God had been good to them. God himself came down every day in the cool of the day and fellowshiped with his creation, walked and talked with them, gave them every tree in that garden to eat of, and only gave them one stipulation, don't eat of that tree that's in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you eat of that tree, the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. In dying, you shall die. Amen. But we all know what happened. 
when the serpent beguiled Eve and she ate of that tree and gave to Adam, who was there with her, and both their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves. And now what happened? The conscience became living. And the conscience, their conscience condemned them immediately. Their conscience said, now you've got to hide from God. God had not given them any reason for them to be afraid of Him. He was their Father. He was good to them. He had blessed them. And they fellowshiped with Him every day. But now that the conscience had become awakened to the fact that they had sinned, they had disobeyed God, they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and now they go and run and hide from God in fear and terror. And God comes walking walking in the garden in the cool of the day and he doesn't find his man. He doesn't find Adam. He's not there to fellowship like he always was. I believe Adam was, was ready to welcome God every afternoon, every day when he came to the garden. But where is his man? And he said, Adam, where are you? He said, I'm hiding from you because we were naked and we were afraid. Fear came in. Fear came. was no fear till this. Now fear comes in. Why? Because their conscience has come alive and condemning them for their sin. Who told? Adam said, we hid from you because we were naked and afraid. And God asked them a question, didn't he? The first question in the Bible was, Adam, where are you? The next question was, who told you you were naked? Satan didn't tell them that. It's obvious God hadn't told them that. What told them? What, what was it that spoke to them? Their conscience said, you're naked. You better hide from God. And so everybody today has a conscience. And even little kids know. Oh, hallelujah. Are you with me? Even little kids know what is right and what is wrong. I've got to bring this to a close. Every per person on earth, I don't care whether they say they don't believe in God, they're atheists, whatever. Every person on earth has the same knowledge of good and evil in them that naturally fears God's judgment. And that's the function of the conscience. Romans, Paul said in Romans 1 and verse 19, he said, because that may be known of God, what may be known of God is manifest in them. He said, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and it's known inside of men, for God has shown it to them, and they are without excuse. See, everyone has a conscience that witnesses constantly about their need for God. Everyone that comes into this, John chapter 1 said that Jesus came as the light of the world and the light has been shown to every man. 
They can say what they want to. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in God. But He has awakened the conscience of every individual. And, and that, that intuitiveness inside of every person born, God has put a conscience in them to let them know God is real. He said that His whole glory and Godhead is made manifest. All they got to do is look up in the starry heavens and they know there is a God. Yes. And they're without excuse. They can claim to be atheistic. They can claim there's no God all they want to. But God has let them know. And that's the reason why that they deny the existence of God. They're trying to cover up a consciousness of judgment that's going to come if they don't make things right with the Lord. And if they can just do away with God, they can bury their conscience. Can you give me just a few more minutes? I'm going to close. I can't drop it right here. Everyone has a conscience, but it can be resisted. It can be ignored. And it's, it's possible to ignore those warnings of the heart, of the soul, of the conscience, of the Holy Spirit dealing with that conscience. And it's possible to so deaden the conscience that you no longer stand. That conscience no longer stands as a barrier between the individual and any sin they choose to commit. And that's where we are in this world today. The consciences of people have been so seared and deadened. It's what Paul told Timothy that that would happen in the last times that they would speak lies and hypocrisy and that they would have their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. That means to be cauterized like you would cauterize a wound. When, when, when a wound is cauterized and it's burned, it kills the feeling in that area. And that's what happens to people's conscious, consciences. They, 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 they so resist and reject the things of God and that's why people can do things they do without any remorse without any guilt. They have seared their conscience to the point that they feel nothing and no longer their conscience no longer warns them about evil. That is why the conscience is not a perfect guide. That is why you can't let your conscience be your guide. The only way your conscience can be your guide is if you have washed it in the blood of Jesus Christ and you let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God lead you. Amen. I've had it up to here. I'm not mad, but I have had it up to here. With people that say, that doesn't bother me to do that. And you can show them right in this book where it's wrong. That, my friend, ladies and gentlemen, is the problem. I just will preach this while I got the opportunity and I can stay out of jail. But that is the problem with this LGBT homosexual transgender agenda that is being propagated today. Every person that's got involved in homosexuality, they, when they first did that, their conscience convicted them. They knew that was wrong. If that isn't so, this Bible's a lie and we just well leave today. But they so cauterized and seared their conscience. Do you know why this agenda today blames you and me? What do you mean blames us? 
We're, we're the problem. Conservative, born again, Bible thumping, Bible believing, Bible Christians, they say are the problem. We're the problem. Because as soon as anything is said about God not accepted, you hate me. You're a hate monger. You're a bigot. You're, you're, you, you don't love us. You're judging us. Why do they do that? Because if they can make us the problem, they can sear and soothe and, and bury their own conscience that is eating away at them and letting them know that lifestyle is wrong. And I don't care. That's why I bother people. I don't mean to. I don't mean to upset anybody. I don't mean to bother anybody. But that's that agenda today. I heard, I think it was on, uh, I think it was on Studying the Word or one of the Brother Swigert's programs on the radio the other day. They were discussing and they said, you know, they would, they would have us to believe that the majority of the population is pro-LGBT. Because every, we're going to have to get rid of our cable boxes because every show on there is promoting that lifestyle. The public libraries are setting up displays in, in, in promotion of the transgender lifestyle. They're having classes where they're teaching the kids this is acceptable behavior. They would have us to think that the majority of the population of the United States is pro-homosexual. And, and do you know the truth of the matter? The actual truth is that there's only around 4%. There's only around 4%, if that much, but that's probably being pretty, uh, you know, pretty, pretty widespread, but 4% that actually believe that that's okay. The problem is this. Here's one of the big problems, that, that this, the acceptance of this is becoming more prominent within the evangelical church. And people are saying, and even within the church, you know, what's wrong with this? There's nothing wrong with this. I was listening to a minister the other day who made that statement and he said, he said, you know, he wrote, he wrote his rebuttal to the Supreme Court decision to legalize same-sex marriage and he said he got more flack from his brothers and sisters in Christ over not walking in love than he did from the people that he wrote against. Their conscience is seared, cauterized, deadened, defiled, and they've come to the place. And that is the final give up of God, according to Romans chapter 1. Or because they did not like to, to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over. 
said their foolish heart was darkened. Go to that next verse. You need, you, we, go to that next verse, please. Verse 20. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They turned the truth of God, changed the glory of God into an image made of corruptible man. They turned the truth of God, it says, into a lie. And when they get up and say, God made us this way, they have turned the truth of God into a lie. Let me, let me, let me just say this. I love everybody. We love everybody. This church loves everybody. We love people that are, that are, that are lost. We love the world, the sinners, is what I mean to say. And God does too. But God Almighty hates the sin of homosexuality. And, and we as Christians have to love that sinner and point them to Jesus and tell them about the cross and tell them that they can be set free and tell them they do not have, they do not have to live that kind of a lifestyle. They do not have to be bound by that. That is a demon spirit that is binding them. And Jesus Christ will set them free. But they have, they have been given over. It said that God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of the heart, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They changed the truth of God. Worship served the creature. Next verse. I'm closing. This is my closing. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. I'm reading to you from the Word of God burned in their lusts one for another. Listen to what the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul said. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Verse 28, and even, listen, here it is. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind. The King James says to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting. Are you hearing me? A reprobate mind is a mind that has been totally turned over in that person's life to do what they want to without feeling any guilt without feeling any remorse. They have totally defiled and deadened their conscience where they have no conscience anymore of right or wrong. That is the condition of multitudes today. Thank you for those three hand claps. But it's the truth. That's the dangerous thing. That our, that our conscience not be seared. That's the final Give up of God. It means that God has surrendered them, gave them up, gave that person up to their sin, surrendering them to their lust to do what they want to do, to go their own way. At that point, they no longer I forgot to turn my timer on, so I don't know how long I've been preaching, but it don't matter. I guess I said all that to say, in conclusion, we must guard our conscience. We must keep our conscience tender before the Lord. 
The only thing that can purge that conscience from the evil and from the guilt and the shame and the condemnation is the blood of Jesus. Hebrews, worship team, you you can make your way back. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, listen, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Two ways to maintain a good conscience. That's number one, to get it cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ and then stop defiling your conscience by continuing to live in sin and practice sinful lifestyles. Once you get your conscience purged by the blood, then you've got to keep your conscience clean and pure and undefiled by not yielding to to the sins of this world. Is that all right? Is that okay? All right. Let's stand this morning. Let's stand. Let me tell you a little story.